Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of the Whitefoot Cricket Show, in collaboration with the Cornwall Cricket Board, a podcast all about celebrating Cornish cricket and inspiring Cornish cricketers. This week we speak with Nicole Harvey. Nicole made her debut for Cornwall way back in 2005. She's previously been leading wicket-taker in the Women's Domestic T20 competition, and she's the second highest wicket-taker of all time in the Women's County Championship. More recently, she's represented Western Storm and Welsh Fire in 100. We said in episode 8 how inspiring Cornwall's win over Somerset was. In episode 4, we say how important Sam Kelsall's story of overcoming mental illness was. Well, this episode is equal measure important, inspiring and downright remarkable. Late last year, while 32 weeks pregnant, Nicole was diagnosed with sepsis, which proved severe and life-threatening. Early this year, she was just starting to walk again, let alone play cricket. Just six months later, she's on our TV screens playing in the 100. This is an open, honest and at times emotional account of her journey. She walks us through her experience of the 100, her illness from diagnosis to recovery, and how she did all this while becoming a mum for the first time. It's a truly humbling and inspiring story. Nicole, it's uh, it's great to see you again. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Terrace. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Um, we've been trying to get you on for a little while, but obviously you've had a, a very busy month or so. Um, and you've had a, a roller coaster 12 or so months, haven't you? So you've you recovered from a, a life threatening illness. You had your first baby, Jonty, and then all while living through a global pandemic. Um, that for a lot of people would have been enough, but you've also been on our TV screens playing in the hundreds. So the first question is how have you managed it all? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, when you say it like that, it's, it's quite a lot. Um, but yeah it's been very surreal and I'm just very grateful to have had the opportunity to be honest with you um it's something that I've worked for for a long time um you know I've trained for, for a lot of years um in order to sort of get to that moment um but considering the last year I, I didn't think you know I would actually play sport again so uh, yeah. just it's like a dream come true to be honest yeah and, and we'll talk about We'll talk about motherhood and, and your illness and, and the recovery a little later on, um, because that's obviously quite the story. But firstly, I just wanted to ask about the hundreds. Um, so how did you find the experience generally now that the, the dust has settled on the tournament? I think reflecting on it, it was just such an amazing experience. Like it's something that it's quite hard to put into words. It was just it was intense at times. Don't get me wrong. But I think that's sort of why you play for those challenges. and. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think it's just such like a brilliant experience, the whole part of it, being able to train, you know, with quality players, you know, some of the best in the world and play against them and, you know, just being around those sort of people. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a good, t- it was just such a good time and it's just a fun, exciting, it's a new thing for cricket and I'm really lucky to have played in the first ever one. And I read earlier this week, actually, that the 100 was the highest attended women's cricket in event ever. Um, so it beat the most recent Women's T20 World Cup in Australia. Did you, while you were playing in it, did you have a sense of sort of how big it was or how big it was becoming amongst the public? I think no one really talked about it, but everyone sort of knew that um we hoped that we were inspiring people all the time and yeah for me it was it was it was a little bit I know it sounds cliche but um it's almost trying to gain a new audience and 
that's nothing taking away from all those you know people that love and breathe cricket all the time but you, you're always going to have those people and it's trying to reach out to you know sort of different audience because it's it was basically a great day out I mean not only could you see women and men's sport in one day there was music and you know mm. there was a lot of entertainment going on as well and I think it was so lovely to see so many families um you know who who came up to me after and were like saying you know I've read about you or whatever and you know it's, it's such a great day and my children you know you know they're now starting to play cricket or whatever like that and that for me is what it's sort of about um you know it's about seeing those children who you know are loving it and just enjoying it. Yeah I, I must be honest I went to um Edgbaston to watch Birmingham Phoenix versus the Trent Rockets and we got there early to watch the women's game as well and there must have been like over 10,000 people in in the ground for the women's game and I uh, just thought it was yeah, I, it, sorry go on go on I to be honest at the time like, I think the way I sort of deal with it I don't actually try to look around the mm. stadium so I try to like just at the end I do obviously when we're going in, in sort of like speaking to the crowd from a distance and stuff but in the actual game you're trying to just concentrate on that and not listen to any of the sounds or the other distractions necessary so at the time I don't think I did really realize um yeah. I think my first game up at Headingley I did um it was the first time I'd sort of played in that sort of tournament and in front of that many people and I, I was a little bit probably overwhelmed on my first one mm. um, mainly because of you know everything I'd been through I, I was like wow this is something like quite special but um I think once you get used to it and you, you get out there, you just try and concentrate on the ball and, you know, try and concentrate on what you're trying to do and execute it as well as you can. Yeah. But um, no, you do get used to it. But I must say it's really special for women's sport, not just yeah. women's cricket, um, just to see so many people, um, you know, supporting it and actually being interested in it. I think there's not been too much women's cricket um, in the public eye too much. And it's often been on like a rogue YouTube channel or something mm. like that, um, which you're always going to have, you know, your family watching that or something. So it's good that other people have seen it and other mm. people said, you know, send me a WhatsApp. Oh, Nick, I saw you on Sky Sports. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, you know, and um, and I think that's just really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I read as well that, it wasn't originally planned that the women would play on the same day as the men, but because of COVID, it, it just transpired that that's the way they did it. Um, and it's such good fortune that that is the way they did it, because I think it worked well. And, and they just confirmed that that will happen next year as well, which is a great thing. Um, I just wanted to, to focus on some of the specifics um, of the hundred. So the tactics of a hundred ball cricket. Did you notice anything that felt really different or really unique to other formats? Um, did bowling plans change or field placings change or feel particularly different? To be honest with you, yes and no. I don't think it changed massively in terms of the T20. I mean, it speeds up the game bowling um, two overs from one end, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to get around and do all of that. Um, but I think tactically it isn't too different in a way I think mm. you can overcomplicate it often yeah um and actually at the end of the day it's the team that scores the most runs or you know the the, the bowling team that restricts them to the lowest score mm. um and that's sort of how I looked at it and I think that's how our team tried to go about our business um you know it's the team that scores the most runs and I think where downfalls were often happening it was we weren't you know necessarily scoring enough runs 
Mm. Um, and then in order to defend that, you know, it's quite difficult if you're scoring, you know, 110 in a game or 100, you know, one a ball in those mm. sort of formats. It's just, it's just not, you know, it's going to be very difficult to win games. Uh, it's very fast. And, and at times I think you can um, possibly get caught up in it. But I yeah. think what works really well is is um, the timeout. Yeah. Slows down the game and um, allows you to sort of take a minute and sort of think actually what's going on here. So if a batter was coming at you, um, you know, which inevitably in that format they are, it's not nice to be a bowler in a way, but yeah. um, it's a good challenge. Um, but uh, you you can slow down the game, you know, take a timeout. They've just hit you for two, three, fours, say, uh, or a six or a couple sixes and a four and an over in a five. Yeah. And you can take a timeout and actually just slow down that play and slow down their rhythm. And hopefully you can sort of regain a bit of momentum then. Because am, am I right in saying that for the women's format, was there an extra fielder allowed in the ring or an extra fielder had to be in the ring? Yeah. 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 How did you so how did you find that? <laughs> it's very difficult being a bowler. Like I said, um, <laughs> and <laughs> um, so yeah you can only have four out in those after that power play of the 25 balls you can only have four out obviously in the men's they were allowed five which makes it a lot easier you know you're not going oh I'll have square leg cow middle mid off and cover um, yeah. pretty regulation you know you're sort of thinking okay which one of them am I going to have up um and you're, you're sort of it's really good to be honest with you in, in a way from a bowler's perspective you have to be very clear in what lines you're bowling and where you want them to hit you or where you think you're going to get your wickets um but that's something I think we learn pretty quickly but you have to adapt and you have to um be very clear keep it simple um you know if you've got three out on the leg side then you're possibly probably going to be bowling a heel line or probably at like sort of middle middle and leg um, you know, and things like that. You, you've got to be pretty savvy onto it and, and know your game well. Um, yeah. And and be, be honest, because I did this when I was sat there watching. I was just um, like calculating everything in, in six ball overs. So when I was trying to work out like economy rates or run rates or things like that, I was just calculating it into six ball overs because that's how my mind works. Were you doing that on the pitch? No, to be honest with you, I think they what they did do really well is the scoreboards were really yeah. clear. So you could, yeah. you know, even if even if you 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 know you can quickly work it out in your head, you just take a look up and it is pretty there, pretty much there for you to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think out in the first couple of trainings, everyone was like, oh, an over, or how many overs you bowl in today, Nick, or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just it's different. It's just a different wording. You know, it's not really changing the game too much. I think it just makes it sort of probably easier for the non-cricketer yeah um, yeah that, and in, in terms of tactics when you sort of had your your camps and you were speaking with coaches and things like that at the beginning of the tournament did you kind of accept that it was going to be a bit of a learning curve like did you guys sit down at the end of those first sort of two three games and just reevaluate what had gone on and and try and learn about the format was that a constant learning process Massively. I mean, I think it's a new format. It's, it's, an, it's new rules. You know, some of us only got drafted in last minute and things like that. So we hadn't even seen the rules, you know, um, we didn't we weren't quite sure how it was going to work. And then when we came to training first week or so, we, we were just getting used to that. And then 
it was something that was always going to evolve and we had to just learn quickly because you're on the road and you've got a game today and then you might have a day off and then you can play it again and you've got two games on the trot, you know, stuff yeah. like that. You just had to, to try and um, look at our KPIs and review them. You know, we were very lucky that we had a brilliant analysis um, in Amy. She um, did some fantastic work for us, you know, in terms of us, for us to prepare and, and best know our, our opposition. Um, and things like that and get our plans in our head from that but inevitably it's how we executed it and how we then learnt from it um, so we would have a review after each game um, probably the next day so we can just you know, have a little bit of a reflection ourselves yeah. and then um, and then reflect on where where we think we did some some stuff that was brilliant um, and possibly where we do things differently yeah well it's, it must have been a pretty tough gig for um for a captain um, and you had Sophie Luff as, as your captain, who I know is a good friend of yours. So how did she find it? Did you talk to her about how she was sort of coping with figuring out this new format? Luffy's a pretty cool collected character, so she doesn't give too much away. But <laughs> I think for her, for her um, she is a good friend of mine. I think she did remarkably well. I mean, it's her first time captaining such an event, you know, where she's got world-class players playing underneath her and um you know she's captured the likes of heather knight and anya shrubsell at western storm but um to be in a format where everyone just comes together randomly for sort of six seven intense weeks uh six weeks you know it's quite difficult job um uh but i think you know she did she did really well and um hopefully she can take some of that back and we can um put it back into our western storm stuff yeah so that's that's what's next is it so when when do you start again with the western storm so going up to cardiff tomorrow to play um and then i'm heading up to durham to play on saturday and then back down to play the sunrises in cambridge on monday so that's another six days of, of uh cricket really um being away and sort of yeah <laughs> We've got six games left for Storm and we've got three T20s and three 50 overs. Plenty of miles in the car then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and on the 100, just what did you make of your own personal performance? Um, did you achieve everything you set out to achieve at the beginning? Were you, were you pleased? Were there areas you think you could have improved on? To be honest, I'm absolutely delighted. I know that sounds really big-headed. I don't think I'm a big-headed person, but I am delighted um, because I was the most economical bowler for Welsh Fire, mm-hmm. um, and that was my sort of aim. You know, I, I wanted I wanted to make sure I was my name was on that scorecard as much as possible. Um, you know, I think everyone wants to do their best, but for me, I wanted to make sure I sort of try and put a stamp on it and try to you know either I was either taking wickets or I was the most economical and I got some big wickets in there as well which I'm really proud of and favorite one I just think favorite um, wicket well that's a hard one but for me I bowled, I bowled pretty well in the Kia um up at the Kia Oval against the Oval Invincibles and obviously they they won the whole um tournament so yeah. for me that was a very proud moment and um you know I think to come away, you're playing with the likes of, you've got Hayley Matthews, you've got Piper Cleary, you know, they've played a lot of big bash. They've played, mm. you know, Australian A and West Indies and stuff like that. When they're the bowlers I'm bowling with and I'm coming out the most economical bowler for the Welsh Farah, I don't think I could um done much more. And I am delighted and I just hope that next year we can come back stronger and be bigger and better. 
And you mentioned the the Kia Oval. Um, what was it like playing at, at grounds like that? That like me, you've grown up watching on the TV, and then all of a sudden you're in the middle playing in front of sort of ten thousand plus people. Um, what was that like? Did you have to pinch yourself at times? Definitely, I definitely did. I said this to someone the other day. It's like it was a pinch myself moment when actually we've played at the Kia Oval earlier in the year with Western Storm. Um, but obviously, they tend to be in the week or yeah. you know on a weekend, on a Saturday where you know everyone's got other cricket going on. So we don't get massive, massive crowds. We get you know just a fair amount of people. And then you're almost looking around, thinking. I remember that first game up at Headingley. And Headingley was such a great atmosphere. Everywhere I was, to be fair, but it was such a rowdy atmosphere. Fantastic. Mm. But I was—I just remember looking there and thinking, "Oh my God!" Like, there's a lot of people here, and yeah. um, and it is—it is a moment where you almost like sit back and think, "God!" Like, I—I I actually came home from it, and um, obviously there was the um, eliminators and the final. And I remember sitting in my parents' living room and I was watching it on TV and I was thinking, cool, that's mad. I was just playing that. Yeah. Yeah. And could you, could you pick a, a favorite ground? I'll, I'll take out Sophia Gardens, your home, <laughs> your home ground. So <laughs> apart from that, your favorite ground. For me, um, probably the Kia Oval, um, purely because as a bowler there, um, as a spinner, um, it just worked really well for us. The boundaries were pretty big wide. Um, and it's just, it just worked well. I think if you had your plans, um, it did work well. And obviously we, we, we won, we came away with a brilliant win that day. We didn't quite get as many runs. We didn't think they were enough. Um, but we still come away with a fantastic win and, you know, they've gone on and won the tournament. So it just shows that actually it was always, it was always like, it could have been anyone's tournament. Um, it was never a dead set, um, you know, I think the um, Oval Invincibles actually lost three, four games in the mm. whole tournament. So, you know, it wasn't like they plain sailing um, had won every single game. Um, but, I mean, it's credit to them to come back fighting and come back stronger at the end when it really mattered. And you were obviously moving around in biosecure bubbles. Um, and we've heard how difficult they are. Obviously, Ben Stokes has taken some some time out of the game. Um partly because of, of playing in biosecure uh, bubbles. So what was that like? That that must be tough at the best of times, but add in a 10-month-old baby or, or however old Johnsy is, and that must be extra hard. So how did you find that? Like, how did it work juggling those bubbles and being a mum and playing cricket? It's <laughs> a good question. Challenging at <laughs> times. Um, it was called Secure Living. Um, and, right. Um you know we had a great team um up at Welshfire and we always said obviously you know that the team that is probably the most cautious is is probably going to go quite far in the tournament because at the mm. end of the day um you know if one of us gets it probably everyone's get it yeah. gonna get it um so we were very careful you know we had security guards and they'd go and check out venues see if we could you know go for a coffee outside maybe and stuff like that but mm. you know in a, we didn't really get to go too many places which is a shame because I think that would have made it even, you know, a greater experience again, because you could sort of like, you know, do on a couple of days off, we didn't have too many, but you could have sort of like, you know, gone and explored Cardiff or wherever you were based. Mm. But um, it was tough at times and adding a baby into that, um, you know, 
did make it quite challenging um but I'm very lucky that um the Welsh fire supported me in that you know I could bring Jonty on the road with me um yeah. you know which allows Scott to continue working and yeah. and um I'm very lucky that my mum my dad and my husband do support me in in that that they do care for Jonty when I'm training or playing um yeah. you know I'm I'm very lucky that I'm in that position to be honest but um no, I think COVID's been very difficult for everyone, but um, putting yourself in, the, in those situations where, you know, you're, you're effectively not able to do too much for, you know, such a long period of time as well. And you're not even in the comfort of your own home. So um, it was challenging at times and it was draining. But luckily, we had a great bunch of girls. We had a great staff. Um, and, you know, we just tried to get around each other when when it was getting a little bit tough and you know, don't get me wrong, it can get tough if you're losing, especially, you know, when, when times are good and you're winning, it's everything's a little bit brighter, isn't it? Yeah. And I've, well, I've seen on, on your Instagram that um, John T almost became a bit of a Welsh fire mascot um, by the end of the tournament. Um, but I, you talked about, about Scott there. Um, was he allowed to, like, come and go? Like, how did that work? How flexible was it? Um he wasn't allowed to just come and go no um you know he we all lap flowed every day um Mm. and you know if my mum or scott were to go in or come out of the bubble they would have had to be in a secure living environment at home um for you know 72 hours before Mm. um they'd come to visit so um and obviously they'd be testing every day as well um so they had to be a bit conscious about what they were doing as well and you know, um, yeah, it was it was tough at times, but you know, I like I said, my mum was pretty much there most of the time, and Scott was in and out when he could with work or cricket himself. So yeah, um, yeah, I mean, we we made it work, and yeah, it was it was great. Well, hopefully this time next year when it's back on, um, this will all be a thing of the past. And we won't have to do that. So fingers crossed for that. Um, but you're yeah. you're. Your journey to, to getting to the hundreds, um, I just wanted to touch on that because you've previously been leading wicket taker in the women's domestic T20 competition for Somerset. Um, you're the second highest wicket taker of all time in the women's county championship. Um, you've also represented Western Storm and you're going to go on to play for them again. Um, so were you expecting the call up before it came? Did it come as a bit of a surprise? And, and when that call up came, how did that work? <laughs> yeah I wasn't expecting it it was something that I'd always like sort of wanted to do when obviously it came about a couple yeah. of years ago um I thought god I really want to be out there I really want to be playing in that that would be amazing yeah. um and you know it's something that I have trained a long time for um you know I always wanted to play for Western Storm and showcase what I can do and I've done it on the county scene for quite a long time as you say but um mm. I didn't expect it. Um, I remember Mark O'Leary giving me a call. I was actually out on a walk with John T. And um, I thought, God, is he dropping me for the weekend? I actually bowled three stars. <laughs> and I, was, I thought, what's going on here? And um, I thought, that's a bit odd, ringing me on a Wednesday. And, um, and yeah, he just threw it at me. And I'm not often short of words or speechless, but I was speechless um for a little while there and I I just thought wow what an opportunity and I'm very grateful um to have had the opportunity and yeah I was speechless I'll be honest I didn't expect it um I all I all I can control was bowling as best as I could for Storm and hopefully that you know someone got injured or whatever 
Um, yeah. But, you know, to get the call and to play in every single game was just amazing. And to, to move on to, to women's cricket more generally, um, it feels like you've been around and playing cricket forever. Um, and you're only 28, 29, similar age to me. So... Um, 28, 28. 28, all right, you've got, you've got, a, you've got a year on me. Um, but I, I, I think that's partly, it feels like you've been around for so long because women's cricket has changed so much during your career, um, even in the last sort of five, ten years. So have you have you really felt that change? Um, and if so, can you just describe some of the changes that you've seen and experienced? Yeah, I think it definitely has. I mean, obviously, I started my journey playing boys cricket um, yeah. because there wasn't, too much um you know that we only had an under 15 side at the time in Cornwall mm. um and you know I think I'm that actually probably did make me a better cricket player because I mm. I played with the boys and I played um you know the county age groups all the way up through and now I think you know there's a lot more there's under 13s there's under 15s there's more girls it wasn't that Cornwall weren't doing it there wasn't the girls playing it at that standard then yeah um, in order to have those teams. So I remember I played Cornwall under 15s and Cornwall women's, you know, I think I was probably 11. And um, and then when I finished under 15s, there was nowhere for me to go. Mm. Um, so I went and played for Devon under 17s because that was the mm -hmm. next county that I could play for. Yeah. And then... Um, I then got on the Knotts Boys Academy um, and went up and played um, Knotts Ladies. So I think now there's a lot more teams, there's a lot more county structures where, you know, there's there's more girls playing, so therefore they can do more. It wasn't such that they weren't doing things down in Cornwall or across the board, but I think actually, you know, there's a better structure in, in probably in schools even now um there's more girls playing school cricket whether that's softball or hardball but there's just mm -hmm. genuinely more girls playing cricket um and there's more women playing cricket as well which is fantastic you know there's a lot more people playing at clubs and things like that um which inevitably i think that then creates more opportunity for you to do more in the county structure and They've now got these, you know, programs where it used to be that I was on the boys EPP, you know, with yourself yeah. tales. But yeah. um, now they've got like sort of their own girls academies and stuff like that, where, you know, they can be a bit more specific and just give more time to it, I, I guess. Um, you know, and I guess as well, people aren't having to do so much mileage. I'm not having to drive to Devon to play under 17s because Cornwall have got under 17s and, and yeah. things like that um it is changing massively and I think it's only going to get bigger and better with things like the 100 um mm. I hope that 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 in itself is going to get more interest in schools or mm. you know at clubs or street cricket and stuff like that I think it's going to be a big push um mm. in general yeah we, we we spoke to to Chunks a couple of weeks ago and he said that the, the women's game in schools is one of their biggest growth areas at the moment um, and we also discussed the idea of, of maybe the 100 being played in schools, um, just a shorter format and, and supposedly easier to understand. Another thing I would just say is just it's very difficult um, to get it into schools. But, you know, I know that a lot of schools have taken rounders off the curriculum and brought cricket in. Yeah. Um, I worked up in a school in Surrey and um, they did exactly that and I think that is going to work really well more girls are going to be playing you know even if it's softball cricket they're going to be playing it 
and hopefully that's going to gain more interest and get more girls playing cricket at clubs and inevitably then at county um and then hopefully that will feed on through to get the standard even higher again yeah well i, I said this to chunks um two weeks ago and i'll, I'll say it again to you I, I always found it so bizarre that in mixed pe lessons we'd play softer um softball or rounders um instead of cricket but hopefully that's that's changing and as you say softball's being taken off the curriculum um just touching on your your journey again i just wanted to, to focus on Cornwall specifically and, and where Cornish cricket fits into that um, because even though you're only 28 you still played for Cornwall for a, a substantial period of time so you made your debut in 2005. Um, how much do you owe to Cornish cricket and, and certain people within Cornish cricket that helped you with your development? Oh, uh, you know, what? I'm a really cool, um, proud Cornish person. Um, you know, that is where my roots are and they always will be. Um, I'm a farmer's daughter tale, so <laughs> you can't pick up a farm and move it. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I am very grateful um, to everyone who's been a part of my journey and everyone who's been part of, of the process. Um, and like I said, I have played I have played cricket for quite a long time, but I am only 28 and and hopefully that's going to keep I'm going to keep going for a lot longer um but you know it's people who have done a lot for me you know I I couldn't even name names there's been so many people who I've had coach me along the years um whether that's playing for Cornwall boys or playing you know county girls county women's you know obviously my mum was a big part of it um mm. she 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 was um you know involved with the women and girls cricket for 17 18 years and set that up so uh, you know she was doing that before I even started playing cricket um but you know there's a lot of people I couldn't name names to be honest but recently in the last year in my comeback um Chris Hunkin was um he d does some work with Western Storm down in Cornwall um just in terms of like obviously people are spread out throughout the whole of the country um and he's been great um I've been going up and seeing him once a week or you know when I can couple times whatever it may be and you know having some great sessions with him and he's he's sort of seen seen the recovery and and the process to get back to where I am now um and he's just been fantastic you know he's always on the end of the phone if I need anything or if I need to talk through possibly something I you know I'm not quite sure about um so yeah I mean there's so many people and I couldn't name names but just in the last year in terms of getting back to where I am at um Chunks has been a great help you know he's given up his evening to give me a two-hour session one-to-one -one mm. or whatever it may be and you know he's got his own family and things like that so mm. yeah um this this might be a difficult question to ask answer sorry um but do you do you see yourself as a, as a bit of a trailblazer have you sort of processed that in your own mind that you're actually a role model now for for a lot of young Cornish girls that that are playing cricket or looking to take up cricket Hey, I'm not one to blow my own smoke. I don't think that's, <laughs> um, I don't think that's in my character. But, um, you know, I think if I'm a role model to anyone, then I'm happy. And, you know, I hope that I am a role model to, to my son, John T. And in years to come, he sees what I've done. And, you know, he's proud. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I hope, you know, I can hopefully get out and get into a few schools or go to a few um, sessions up at the Cricket Centre in Truro and, hopefully have a chat with a few of them and you know maybe spend a bit of time with some of the kids and it's something I love to do I've trained as a teacher and 
you know, um, there's something I love to do. So if I can be a role model to anyone, then I hope I am. And I hope that I'm flying the flag high for Cornwall at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, if you can't say it, I, I will. I, I'm sure that you definitely are an inspiration for lots of, of women out there. Um, moving on to, to the, the horrendous time you had last year. Um, so I've read the article on the BBC. I've, I've seen your interview on Sky Sports. Um, obviously, this is the most important interview you'll do, by the way. Can I just say that? Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, but I, I read that that you thought you, you might die. Um, and you even wrote a will and, and said your goodbyes to Scott, um, your husband and your parents at one point, um, just in case the worst should happen. At 28, that doesn't even bear thinking about. So for those that are listening, just explain what happened to you sort of from the beginning diagnosis and then and then through the whole process. Yeah, yeah, I was 27 at the time. Yeah, so basically um, I was pregnant. I was fit and healthy. Um, you know, I was 31 weeks pregnant and I was walking, you know, I was out walking tree and coast path and, and going for a, a drink at the Logan Rock and wherever it may be. And, um, I was working out, I was still keeping fit and active. Um, and I started feeling quite poorly. I started feeling, you know, really unwell. I started to feel sick. I couldn't eat. And, um, I kept saying, you know, something's not quite right. Like I've mm. never been pregnant before, but I'm sure this isn't quite right. Um, and I think you do know your own body and you do sort of feel when something is really quite wrong. After a week of feeling poorly, I'd been back and forth to the doctors. I'd been to the hospital. They checked the baby. Jaunty was fine. Um, and then by the Saturday, I remember waking up and going to get out of bed and I just couldn't lift my legs. I went to put some trousers on and I literally couldn't lift my right leg. I just thought, oh, my God, like something's really wrong. I, I felt terrible. Um, I felt so so poorly I couldn't I can't even describe the feeling um, I just felt really ill and um, I just immediately phoned my mum and said you need to come to the house now I, I can't lift my leg and put my trouser on um, and I and then Scott and my mum came there and I said you need to take me to hospital because I know something's really really wrong um, and I kept saying you know I feel like I'm gonna die like something's gone wrong drastically wrong here and um, that is a major sign of sepsis um so for anyone out there listening please go on to the sepsis trust website and do read the symptoms you know mm. especially if you've got a baby or young children um sepsis is you know one of the biggest killers it it kills more people than breast cancer prostate cancer combined car accidents combined all three of those things combined so yeah. um actually to know the symptoms is really important um and I kept having this overwhelming fear that I was going to die. Um, yeah. It took them 40 hours to work out that I did have sepsis. Um, I was really poorly. I was throwing up. I was. I had rigors. I was. Rigors are basically like fits. Mm. Um, I felt like I was cold. Um, and I remember asking for blankets and blankets saying I'm freezing cold. Mm. I was wearing a coat in my hospital bed. Um, but I was actually boiling. I had a raging fever um, and I just felt really sick. And then they told me I had sepsis. Um, by this point, um, yeah, they then said I had to have a nephrostomy put into my right kidney, which is a um, it's basically a bag and a tube that gets put down 25 centimetres into your kidney um, and drains your kidney um because what had happened is John T well the baby was squashing my ureter 
Um, and then it was back flowing into my kidney and giving me a kidney infection, um, which then um, turned into sepsis. And how, how many how many months? Sorry, Nicole. How many how many months pregnant were you at this point? I was thirty two weeks pregnant, um, right. and then um, yeah, so that that was on the thirty first of August last year. So I'm coming up for my year anniversary to that, mm -hmm. um, and um, I just remember then and there feeling like this is it. Like I felt so poorly, I couldn't I couldn't move. To be honest with you, I didn't really know what was going on. At some points, at some points I do, and I remember it vividly. Um, but at other points, you know, I was not really with it um but I went I was in ICU then and I just remember thinking well I'm not quite sure I'm 27 here and I'm lying in a bed pregnant and how's how's this come to this but um mm. <laughs> there you go I think it just it's a massive wake-up call and it, it just makes you realize that life can you know change quite drastically quite quickly um and then basically obviously due to COVID no one was allowed to come and visit me um, yeah. until it got very bad um and then they let Scott in um and I remember saying oh I need to write a will and I sent my mum a couple of voice notes and a couple of whatsapps um when I when I could but I wasn't really well enough to be like you know on my phone and doing things like that so um yeah I wasn't really with it but luckily um you know I've come out the other side and you know it was a slow process I was in hospital for quite a long time and Five weeks later, obviously after being diagnosed with sepsis, I had jaunty at 37 weeks via a C-section, mm -hmm. um, which had to happen just due to how weak I was and how poorly I still really was. And obviously with a nephrostomy and a few other complications, um, we made the decision that I would have a C-section at 37 weeks. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't at the time, I couldn't even sit up by myself. I couldn't get out of bed or, you know, go to a toilet. Um, you know, I was basically bedridden. Um, so when I did get the chance to come home, my mum did come into my house and, and care for me. She slept on my living room floor for three months. So I'm in debt to that woman, really. Mm. And what what I can't even imagine what that must have been like trying to be a, a new mother for the first time and, and being as ill as you, you said you were. So how, how did you manage that? That must have been incredibly difficult. It was, and I think it's it was mentally quite tough. Um, mm. You know, I still had a nephrostomy for quite a long time after that, um, and that in itself is quite a horrendous thing to to have. And you know, you couldn't shower, you couldn't even have to take a shower and get it wet, and things like that. You had your dressing mm. changes all the time, and things like that. And it was quite a thing. Um, but I'm very lucky that I had my mum. My dad would come and visit and wave at the window every day, and um obviously Scott as well there to help me but um mm. you know I don't think there's a book on how to be a parent or how to be a new parent you know you are effectively learning on the job and and mm. that was just something that was added to it um and yeah. you just have to get on with these things there's certainly not a book on how to be a parent while suffering with sepsis <laughs> <laughs> that's that's no. uh that's a pretty tough challenge um and just to to reiterate what you said so in the UK, 250,000 people are affected by sepsis, 52,000 die of sepsis and 60,000 people suffer permanent life changing effects. Um, and as you said, it's it's more common than heart attacks and kills more people than bowel, breast and prostate cancer and road accidents combined. 
Um, I struggled to get my my head around that. Um, so you say from from the period you started feeling ill to going into hospital, what was that like 48 hours, did you say? I actually started feeling more poorly than that, um, probably for, for, for about a week. I didn't feel myself, which would have obviously been where the kidney infection came in. But yeah. in terms of actually being seriously feeling this is something wrong, it was 40 hours. And actually, if you do read about sepsis, and I do encourage anyone to read about it, because obviously we hear all about these other things, you know, breast cancer, etc. And they are yeah. so important. I'm not taking it away from it. You know, that is really important. But actually knowing these symptoms because it can happen from anything it could happen from a urine infection it could happen from a cut a bite you know you name it mm. um you could get sepsis from it and um like you said the statistics are quite shocking mm. um and i just i think that actually you know we do need to be a bit a little bit more aware mm. um, because there's what's... a golden hour with there's a golden hour with sepsis they say right. you know if you if you can intervene within an hour um that is going to make your recovery and obviously your illness um better and you know hopefully stop you dying mm. um obviously it took 40 hours for myself so i'm i am even luckier to be here mm. um because it, it did take quite a long time um but yeah I just think don't take anything for granted. <laughs> and and can you can you pinpoint what it was that, that brought it on or caused it? So you talk about a golden hour. Presumably that's you've got to be really aware that that you know you've you've got it and suffered <laughs> from it. Um yeah. so have you pinpointed what it was or what caused it? Yeah, so it was it was um John T. He was right. he was squashing my ureter. Okay. Um which which obviously so if you had a hose pipe and someone mm. stands on it um it yeah. stops the flow doesn't it um yeah. so it stopped my urine flow from my right kidney because it was squashed it was kinked and um and basically then it backlogged into my kidney and caused that kidney infection the kidney infection then caused the sepsis um so yeah he was just too big for my body i think to be honest <laughs> <laughs> and the, the the website for more information that's sepsistrust.org is that right yeah that's the one um if you do get a moment do go on there um they're a great a great um organization and i've phoned them myself they've they've given me some great advice and you know that they're, they're volunteers most of them and there isn't too many of them they're quite a small organization you know this isn't an ad for them they're not paying me it's nothing like that it's more more so just to raise awareness for people to you know i don't want them to be in the position i was in or or, or any of their family to be in that and what what about your, your your mindset when you were struggling with this? Um, it must have been incredibly difficult to keep a positive mindset. Were there times where that was difficult. Like, how did you try and keep that positivity? Yeah, it has been very difficult. And um, at the time, I just remember thinking, "What on earth is going on?" Like, yeah, I'm 27. Um, you know, how on earth has this come about? You know, I'm fit. I'm healthy. And, you know, I was still I was still working out. You know, at th heavily pregnant, thirty one weeks. Mm. Um, but I just kept telling myself, you know, I've got to believe in my head that this is going to be okay. There was times where I thought this isn't okay. This is like this is it. Um, and I remember I remember them quite vividly. Um, mm. But um, I did just 
try and keep in the back of my head thinking you know it's going to be worthwhile I'm going to have a healthy baby it's going to be okay but don't get me wrong it is very tough and um you know people don't necessarily talk about those things and um we should talk about them you know any critically ill person has you know has probably got PTSD um that's something I do have and um it's very normal you know to have been seriously seriously ill um and to be in a position where you know you've almost died or whatever um it is normal and there are tough times but um you know hopefully we come through them and it makes us stronger yeah definitely and it, it must have been an incredible relief um to see John C arrive safely you know given given how challenging a situation this is and and how how ill you were um so can you can you describe those emotions were you were you well enough to sort of be animated about it <laughs> to be honest with you it's actually quite a funny story um <laughs> I don't think I rarely see Scott cry and he was there bawling his eyes out and um my reaction was I remember they lo- they offered me the um option to lower the curtain mm. um you know so I could see him being lifted out from me which is mm. quite a surreal experience in itself and um, my first reaction was, oh, my God, he's massive. <laughs> That's actually what I said. And I remember the consultant saying, yes, he is. Um, my consultant, she, she said, yes, he is. Like, considering your body, he is massive. Um, you know, he was 7'7", seven, seven which is an average size of a baby at full term. But he was three weeks early. So, yeah, that was my actual reaction. And Scott said, are you not going to say he's beautiful or anything? And I, I remember saying, oh, he is, but he's huge. <laughs> And presumably John T is is fit and healthy and, and all's well. Yeah, he's a good boy. He's already playing cricket. I think every morning he goes and picks up his cricket bat. You buy all these toys and all the rest of it. And the first thing he's going to is a little signature bat. Well, he's not got much choice in your family, is he? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, and, and talking about cricket, I mean, while you were lying in, in ICU, you obviously had more important things to worry about. But... Did cricket ever cross your mind and, and the thought that you might not play cricket again? I think it was when I came home and I realised, you know, I couldn't sit up by myself. I couldn't walk. Yeah. Um, I just thought at that point, that's all quite a distant memory. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen again. Um, and I just got to be grateful that I'm still here. But um, slowly but surely and with a lot of help from, you know, my family and stuff, I did get there and you know I remember there were times where I thought this is still never going to happen and you have your ups and downs but I think in the back of your head you always you always want to play um Mm. you know even if you've had time away from the game you're always thinking oh I'd love to have a net or I'd love to you know get out there Mm. and play I'm sure I'm sure you do it yourself occasionally Mm. um but yeah um I don't I don't think I thought at, at, at that point when I came home I didn't think you know it was going to happen um I remember in the January even um so January this year I just thought oh, I'm just going to try attempt and run mm. so I'd slowly started getting back to walking you know I remember my first walk was only a matter of steps I got got myself dressed which was quite exhausting in itself just to do a simple task like that and um I remember going for this first run and I was all geared up I thought right here we go and you know it was about 20 steps and and that was that but um yeah hey let's so you now. <laughs> you so you went you went from from learning basically to walk again or starting to walk again to to playing you know in the hundred in in a matter of seven months possibly less yeah 
<laughs> looking back like do you not do you not think that's crazy like you must be incredibly proud of yourself I do I do I do find it crazy I was talking to um a gentleman the other day he he um he works as an ICU consultant and mm. um he was saying you know Nicole this is remarkable um and you should be really proud and I said to him I find it actually quite unbelievable um but I'm still just very grateful I wouldn't have been able to do it without any of my family um because they've always been you know cheering me on and in the background saying you know it's going to be all right Nick you know if I'm having a low point they're saying it's fine you're going to be able to do it Mm -hmm. and you know I'm very lucky that I've got that support network and I've got brilliant people like that and was there was there one moment in your recovery maybe it was a particular walk or a particular run that you went on where you thought do you know what I could playing playing a high level of cricket again is is actually a possibility was there ever that light bulb moment there was a moment where I went for a run and I start, you know, I was very slow when it first started. I mean, it was basically a glorified walk. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I do remember one particular run and I started crying and I thought, oh, my God, I'm actually running. I'm actually physically yeah. running. I'm no longer slowly walking or, you know, <laughs> almost power walking. I'm actually running. Um, and I do remember then thinking, you know, maybe maybe this is going to happen. Um, yeah. And when did I, you just, I remember being taken back. I'm not that I'm not that emotional normally, um, yeah. but I think this whole experience has made me a little bit more like that. Um, mm. And I just remember I was out on this run and I was going past Hale Football Club, ironically. Mm. Um, not that I've ever played football, but um, <laughs> and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, maybe I can do this. Yeah. And when did you bowl your first ball? Oh, I got invited back to train um, by Lisa Padgett and Mark O'Leary with the Western Storm yeah. in, Mar in March this year. And how was that? Yeah, I mean, they've been brilliant. They've supported me. They've, you know, they've been very conscious that obviously I was shielding um, yeah. when I got home from hospital um, through till March. Um, so I was shielding in my own house and they were very much so, you know, very supportive and in terms of like, you know, come and have, have a look if you don't, if you don't feel safe or, you, you know, you don't feel comfortable, you don't want to do it, Nick, like, that's absolutely fine. Um, take it at my own pace. And they've been brilliant in terms of that. And, um, yeah, I, I, when I actually, I felt brilliant on my first net. It was quite funny because I think my expectation was so low, almost it could only get better. It's one of those, I think when you're, when you're having a hit all the time or a bowl all the time, you almost think, oh, God, that was rubbish. You'll beat yourself up, <laughs> don't you? Whereas <laughs> when your expectation's so low, um, it can only be good. And I remember Marco Leary saying to me, have you been having quiet nets at home? Have you got a net <laughs> in your back garden or something? And I said, I wish. Well, I was going to ask how that first ball came out. Honestly, like how, <laughs> when you bowled that first ball, where did it land? <laughs> no, it actually came out pretty well. I do remember turning around to him and saying, don't watch this because it could go anywhere. But it didn't. And um, I think you always surprise yourself, you know. It's a bit yeah. like riding a bike. You don't ever forget. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and when, in your recovery process, when you had that sort of epiphany walking, um, running past Hale Football Club, did, and you thought playing cricket again, you know, could be a realistic thing, did that spur you on even more? Did that objective to aim toward did that really help you do you think 
yeah, I think my aim was to play for Western Storm. Um, yeah. You know, and and at the start it was quite low in terms of I was like, let let's just see see how I go and see how how fit I can get in order to to try and get out on that pitch. Yeah. And and I just trained. You know, I didn't I didn't have a gig with them. I didn't have a contract with them or anything like that. Um, and I just thought, you know, I'm just going to turn up every week and do my best. I can't do any more. Um, yeah. That is something I've. I've now probably learned in this in this process in this year is that you can only you can only give everything you've got you can't do anymore you can't beat yourself up um mm. you know if you've gone gone out there and given it everything you can you can't ask anymore. And I just kept telling myself that I've been through so much actually a game of cricket isn't that big a deal um yeah well, I was I gonna wrote, say I that down yeah sorry yeah. I was gonna say exactly that 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 it puts yeah. things into perspective surely and you were saying about the crowds being a surreal experience but you've overcome so much that <laughs> to put that into perspective it's so insignificant um that must have really helped you yeah I think that's the way I've looked at it. and I remember having a, a conversation with Chris Hunkin up at the Truro Centre and mm. you know you can ask him all about it and I just said to him the thing is chance I said when I first was invited to the session I was absolutely absolutely cacking myself I thought oh, I can't do this I'm going to be embarrassing yeah. You know, there's going to be girls up there, 19, 20, thinking, oh, my God, who is this? <laughs> and, um, and um, you know, I thought I'm going to be cloffing everything and, you know, God knows where I'm going to be bowling it. And um, I just sat down literally half an hour before I was going up there and I just wrote down a few bullet points and I thought I'm going to write down all of these things to just give myself a little boost. And I just put down, you know, after the year I've had and everything I've been through and seen and done and, actually this is just a cricket net this is just a game mm. of cricket um in this perspective of life it's really not that big a deal and and that's how I've looked at it really and I just tell myself that most of those people in that room probably aren't going to have been through what I've been through so mm. you know I am a tough kicky and and just try and try and you know do your best and that's all you can do did you take that that attitude into the changing room at all like, did you share that with the girls that you were playing with and, and try and sort of put things into perspective for them? Um, not so much at Welsh Fire. I mean, I did have quite a few chats with a few players that wanted to talk to me about it. I don't, yeah. I don't talk about it, to be honest with you. It's not something I talk about. I just keep my head down and, and do my thing. But, um, you know, if people do talk to me and I'm, you know, I'm in the headspace for it, then, um, you know, I do talk about it because I think yeah. it's, good, it's good for people to to learn off one another you know whatever though everyone's got their own experience everyone's got their own journey and story to tell so um I remember a Welsh um a Western Storm game actually um we we lost it was a game we should have easily won and we had a meeting just a players meeting and I said look you know you got to give your heart and soul on the pitch and you've got to give everything you've got because you know there's life short and you know you don't know what's around the corner sort of thing and I think a few people did take that on board and I just hope that you know people do realize that actually it's just a game of cricket but if mm. you're there playing it take your opportunities and give it everything you've got. Moving on to, to sort of present day um so how how are you coping with 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 things now is is does the illness still linger is there still things that you have to overcome on a, on a day-to-day basis um so how are things generally? Yeah, so uh, this isn't something I've talked about, not even on the Sky interviews or anything, but um, mm. I'm going to go for it, why not? Um, 
yeah I do have I have post-sepsis syndrome so I have slow days and mm. I have days where my body's just tired I'm tired um you know my body's aching for no apparent reason um you know and some days I feel like my body's about 80 not 28 um <laughs> but um you know like I said earlier when you have been critically ill it's very normal to have PTSD and have nightmares and flashbacks and and I do have that um um but it is very normal and you know anyone that's been through an illness a critical illness and and things like that they'll know that it is normal and and um it's okay it's okay to have that and it's um it's just something that you know you learn to live with and and hopefully in a few years time it will be a distant memory mm. so how how did you deal with post-sepsis syndrome while you were playing because surely there were days that you'd wake up on a game day and you were feeling terrible <laughs> I think the adrenaline just gets the you know gets the, the better of you and you just yeah. get out there and I'm very much like that um <laughs> I'm a pretty tough cookie and mm. I've got quite a bit of grit and and um you know just willpower in in me I think you know I think it's, it's part of being Cornish I'm not gonna lie so <laughs> and I think um, there's quite a few of us probably um who are the same and I think you just find it within yourself um and it is something I've always wanted to do it's something I've dreamt of doing so you know I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna let anything get in the way I don't think <laughs> well you said yourself that you're a farmer's daughter so <laughs> you're made of tough stuff um yeah two brothers now, as well <laughs> two brothers as well exactly um but no I, I wish you a, a speedy recovery and I know that everyone listening in the whole of the Cornish cricketing community wish you a speedy recovery as well um i just wanted to to move on to our quick fire round um okay. so a bit more bit more of a light-hearted tone um but you, <laughs> you said before we started recording that you're not so good at these questions so <laughs> hopefully they don't put you on the spot too much um no. first one is best cornish batter played with and best cornish batter played against Ooh. okay um at the time, probably when I was playing Cornish boys cricket, um, at the time it was probably someone like Adam Cocking, um, yeah. a good friend of mine as well. Um, yeah. Growing up playing Cornwall boys age group, so it was probably was him. He played up at the Bunbury Festival and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously now going on, you know, I'd have to say Jake Libby, another good friend of mine. Um, but at the time, I remember me and him used to be the smallest people, and even up until true college age group. Yeah, two small, skinny people, about five foot three I don't know maybe Jake was a bit little bit bigger than me at that point but you know he got so much stick for you know he couldn't hit it off the square or this that, and the other and I was the same and and now I think just look at it now so um yeah, yeah. I'd say Adam probably when we were growing up um um but now obviously I've got to say Jake yeah it's funny you say that a couple of people have said that um they picked someone and then they're like oh well knowing what I know now I've got to say Jake but it just goes to show how rapid Jake's progression was as he got a little bit bigger um, and he got a little bit of muscle on him. Um, so <laughs> you're Adam Cockin and Jake Libby, best Cornish batter played against or are they sort of one and the same, Jake and Adam? Played against? I'm not really sure about that question, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go for a women's, I'll go for a women's um, yeah. cricket answer for this one. Um, I'm going to go for Becky Williams, who actually was involved with the Welsh Fire. She no longer plays cricket, but at the time, I remember I was about 11 playing under 15s, and she just hit the ball so cleanly. 
Mm. Um, she played some England Academy stuff and things like that. She was a lot older than me. But um, she was a, an absolutely outstanding bat, batter. And, you know, she could hit the ball, a long ball at the age of 15, even then. So I'm going to go for Becky Williams. She's so who, Welsh. For she's, uh, she's Welsh. So what what um, what involvement did she have with the Welsh Fire if she finished playing playing cricket? Yeah, so she 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 took some time away from cricket, and um, then she came back, and she's got a role okay. at Glamorgan, and yeah. she also um, worked as um, the manager for the men's Welsh Fire. Okay, and best best batter full stop. Um, so the best batter you've played with, and best batter you've played against, that in any cricket. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, probably going to answer Claire Taylor. Um, it's not a bad one, is it? <laughs> yeah, um, I was very lucky enough to go on a, a tour with her uh, to Hong Kong and China with the MCC. Yeah, and I've played a, a, a fair bit of cricket with her. Um, she is a very good batter. Um, yeah, and even that, even now. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm going to go for. Okay, have you played with Charlotte Edwards at all? Yeah, I have. Um, <laughs> to be fair, it's probably one of the two. Um, Lottie. To be honest, is a very clever, clever player. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I've had her. She also came on that tour, and there's probably a toss-up in it. They're very different people, and actually, Lottie is probably, in my eyes, a little bit more uh, clever tactically, and, and she's probably putting that in practice now with her coaching roles up at the mm. Vipers and Seven Brave. She's just a fountain of knowledge. Mm. And same goes for bowlers. So, best Cornish bowler you've played with and against. Oh God. Um, <laughs> okay, now you're making me think now. Tony. Yeah, rem remember, I, I I would have bowled off spin at you in the nets. Remember that. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, ooh, best bowler. I don't know. I can't. I don't know if I can answer this question because I've not really thought about it. I'm just going to be throwing. I'm just going to be throwing a name in the air. In the air. Well, you've got you've got boy boys and girls to choose from. Could you played with both? Yeah, I'm gonna go for a boy cricketer. Um, I remember at the time. Um, personally, I remember Ben Jenkins was a very good bowler in in our in our age group stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know he's just a great guy as well. So I'm gonna go for him, and then played against. Wow. I always remember there was a. There was a bloke um, called Mark. Now you're testing my knowledge. Oh, he was from Essex. All I remember was Mark Townsend. He was probably one of the quickest around at the time. He played up at Bunbury with Adam and, and things like that. It was the first time I'd actually not lifted my bat up and a ball had gone past me. <laughs> this was up at King's College. Yeah. And um, at the time, I think he bowled pretty much most of our team out. Um, <laughs> um, he was absolutely rapid. He no longer plays cricket, actually. I, I am in contact with him still as well. Another great guy. But um, I just always remember up at King's College, he, he basically had a, um, a growth hormone um, imbalance. So he was a lot bigger than he should have been for his age. And he was, he was quite muscular for his age. And I think we were playing under 14s. And he, he was bowling it. God knows, I don't know, I don't know how many clicks, but not many of us were getting anywhere near it. And I, all I remember was Paul Smith was stood up at the other end. <laughs> and he come down and he said, "Good job that one on the stumps, bird." 
<laughs> and I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's a good job. And the next ball, luckily, I did hit it. But um, the first ball, I certainly didn't. I was nowhere near it. I was a, a little bit too late on it. So I'm going to go for Mark Townsend. He played for Essex at the time. Yeah, well, it's all right, Smithy, saying that. He probably cleaned him up the next over or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he did, to be honest, but yeah. there we go. <laughs> and best best bowler played with and against, sort of full stop. So, again, in, in any cricket that you've played. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm going to go for Anya Shrubsoul um, in yeah. terms of her, her experience. Um, she's very much um, a like I said, savvy. Um, she knows what she's going to bowl and she knows how she's going to get people out. Um, she's quite fiery as well, play. isn't she? And yeah. Oh, she's got the fire in her stomach. Don't you worry. Um, she's I've got... played plenty, plenty of boys cricket as well. Yeah, I've, I've played against um, Anya at under 14 level, I think. And she, I was opening the batting for Cornwall and I think she bowled me a bouncer and gave me a few choice words, which was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> Um, hey, there's but, nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely. Um, but sorry to, <laughs> to interrupt. So best bowler played against. So you've got Anna Shrubshaw played with and then against. Against. I'm going to go for... Um, oh, probably going to go for Catherine Brunt um, mm -hmm. in terms of women's cricket because I think, like, again, she's another very experienced player. Um, you know, even now, I think she's 30-odd, 34 maybe. I'm not don't quote me on that but even now she you can see her 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 brain is ticking over and she's thinking how she's going to get you out um and you know I think to be still bowling at, at that level you know she's still playing um in the hundred and things like that she's still playing for England at 34 she's doing remarkably well yeah well, I think you you've probably picked in Catherine Brunt and Anya Shrubsall you've probably picked England's greatest ever seamers in women's cricket so it's not <laughs> it's not a bad couple of picks um best best thing about Claire playing... Taylor and Charlotte Edwards got yeah I mean be, they've got to be drawing for me as well so yeah yes. you've got a pretty prestigious list um best thing <laughs> about playing cricket in Cornwall oh wow I would say the supporters I think yeah. it's a you know it's a thing I think you know Cornish people tend to be quite close-knit and um and you know very supporting you know whether that's court cricket rugby you name it um I think we have quite a, a, a um, family-based culture down here and you know if we've got a big game you, there's often a big crowd you know it might not it, it might even be a Vinter Cup you name it and there can be mm. thousands of people there watching and and that's something I think Cornwall does really well they support they support their own and yeah I would say that's one thing Funny enough, your your husband Scott said the same thing um, about when really? we yeah when we were talking about when Cornwall beat Somerset, he said the the support was was one of the biggest things for him. Um, and the best thing about playing cricket for Cornwall, I think like I look back at our team, our boys county team, and we had some fantastic players, and they're all all pretty pretty good people and most of us are still in contact in some way or form mm. or another and that probably is is something that you think you still got some pretty special friends there you know from a long time ago yeah yeah very true um well that that brings us to the end of the podcast nicole um so thank you so much for coming on and and sharing and being so open about what has been a horrific 12 or so months um 
it's great to talk to you and, and hear that you're relatively fit and healthy and flying the flag for Cornwall on the national stage. So thank you for doing that and, and thank you for coming on. No, thank you very much for having me. Well, thanks again to Nicole for coming on and telling her story in such an open and honest way. Um, it's an incredible one and we wish her all the very best as she continues her recovery. To reiterate, for anyone looking for more information about sepsis, you can go to sepsistrust.org. Um, and illness aside, it was fascinating to get an inside track on the 100, from the secure living setup to tactics and thought processes. Um, and as Nicole mentioned, she not only just competed in the 100, but she was one of Welsh Fire's star performers. She's now back in action with Western Storm. Um, the Storm often share links to live free streams of the action via their social channels, so it's worth checking out if you want to see more of Nicole playing. A reminder before we sign off for another couple of weeks that you can follow the show across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search The Whitefoot Cricket Show. And if you know of anyone that might find this episode or any of the other episodes interesting, then please do share it with them. As always, feedback and suggestions are also very welcome. Until next time, go well. <laughs>